Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. So it's Easter. Easter Sunday. What do we remember? What do we celebrate? Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. Ah, oh, there you go. But now I have to say, have you ever done anything wrong? No, never. Well, okay, has anyone ever reminded you of the things you've done wrong? Yeah, I've had it, yeah. Let me tell you an account. I was in a trial in a country town. A prosecuting attorney called his first witness to the stand. She was sworn in and asked if she would tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help her God. The witness was this proper, well-dressed elderly lady, a grandmother type, well-spoken and poised. The prosecuting attorney approached the woman and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. (laughs) You lie, cheat, manipulate people, and talk badly about them behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot when you haven't the sense to realise you'll never amount to anything. Yes, I know you quite well. The lawyer was stunned and slowly backed away, fearing the looks on the judges and the jurors' faces, not to mention the court reporter who had documented every word spoken. Not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defence attorney? She again replied, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Hope since he was a youngster too. He's lazy, bigoted, and has a bad drinking problem. The man can't build or keep normal relationship. His law practice is one of the worst in the state, not to mention he cheated on his wife with three different women. Yes, I know him. (laughs) The defence attorney almost fainted and was seen slipping downward in his chair looking at the floor. Laughter mixed with gas thundered through the courtroom. At this point, the judge brought the courtroom to silence and called both lawyers to his bench and in a very quiet voice said, If either of you asks her if she knows me, I'll hold you in contempt and put you in jail. (laughs) Now, I'm sure for most of us, we've got regrets in our life. You know, those moments of things, either where we've blurted out and said something or we've done something and people have gone, really? And you're like, I still have that embarrassment or, you you know, that regret that just covers me because of it. Those things in life that we wish we could forget or we wish that we, if we had the moment, we would do something different if we had that time over again. Could be bad decisions, wrong choices, maybe even because of broken relationships or hopeless circumstances. I know that I've had some, and if you ask Jill, she'll probably tell you even more, but we won't go there. <laughs> but the reality is that we can have these regrets, but how do we move on from them? How do we move past them? Especially when people keep reminding us of them. Oh, I know, you, you're the guy that did this. And you're like, wow, really? See, recent studies have revealed that 90% of people live with deep regrets. 90%. The research also revealed that the more we dwell on those regrets, the worse our quality of life tends to get. So how do we deal with those regrets? 
For some people, they try to mask them or bury them. Other people try to deny them, but the reality is they're still there. For some, they'll actually try to cover them up by taking on other things, which actually then forms to be addictions, and those addictions become worse than what the actual regret was. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with those regrets? What we need is a new day dawning. And that's our theme for this Easter is new day dawning. What is it? A new, the phrase actually means a new beginning, a fresh start, an important promising turning point. That our life faces this moment where suddenly things get reversed and we walk in a new day. Where things are no longer this burden and baggage that we carry and almost as if we're dragging it around. Instead, suddenly we're released and it's a whole new day. Leaving the past behind to walk in a new life. Now the Bible, it uses this word dawn in a number of places to be able to communicate a new beginning. An example of that is Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 23. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That with each day comes new blessings and promises of God. That what we actually can have is that with a new day becomes the new opportunity to be able to put to the past yesterday's disappointment and instead walk in a new opportunity of a new day. That God in his great love, he gives us the opportunity of starting afresh each new day. Now, if you can imagine, here we are at Easter, and on Friday, we, we had Good Friday, where we remember that Jesus, he died on the cross. Now, think about what was going on for the disciples. They had this picture of Jesus there dying on the cross, and we were all going, hang on a minute, this is not what was meant to happen. He was meant to redeem all of Israel. He was meant to save us. And instead, here he is on the cross. For the disciples, it was tragic. All that they had hoped for, it was now just crumbling before their eyes. There was doubt, confusion, and fear. It's like being suddenly hit in the stomach, and you go, <gasps> trying to breathe and gasp just to get that air going again. The same was for the disciples. They were like, <gasps> trying to breathe and go, hang on, what's just happened? And what does it now look like for us? And so on Friday was when Jesus, we remember he was crucified on the cross. But then, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. And we had the women who went to the tomb early in the morning and went, he's not there. They came back and they told the disciples. And some of the disciples then ran off and looked to see if they could see and find Jesus. We have in the Gospel of Luke his account of two of the disciples. They had actually left Jerusalem and having heard all these accounts, they left Jerusalem and then went along the road to Emmaus. And along that road as they were walking, they were talking together and they were just talking about all that had actually happened and unfolded. And for these disciples, they were in a place where they were going, you know, it just doesn't make sense. How do we make sense of it? And as they were walking and talking, Jesus came up alongside of them and started talking with them. And it says in the Bible that they were blinded from recognising Jesus. The first thing in Luke chapter 24, verse 17, we read, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. 
The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. The passage actually goes on to say that Jesus then says to them, hey, look how foolish you are. And and Jesus then starts to unpack for them, starting with Moses and the prophets, all the promises that were spoken about Jesus and how he had to die on the cross, all the prophecies that were fulfilled because of Jesus dying on the cross to save people from their sins. They finally get to their destination and Jesus pretends that he's going on further and the disciples urged him to stay with them. And it's finally then when Jesus breaks the bread that their disciples' eyes are opened and they realise, hang on, that's Jesus, and then suddenly he's taken from their midst. And it's like, could you imagine the two of them? Smack, why didn't you recognise him? You know, that sort of thing, right? <laughs> but what they did say was, weren't our, wasn't our heart burning within us? But for the disciples, why didn't they recognise Jesus? Well, they didn't recognise him because they were clouded in darkness, disbelief and despair. Think about it. When we're in one of those situations where life is just going horrible, what are we clouded in? Darkness, despair, disbelief. And we focus on that rather than seeing what or who is standing right in front of us. How do we know that? Their faces in verse 17 were downcast. In other words, they were there navel-gazing. They were looking down. They weren't actually looking up. They were weighed down by all that was going on. In verse 21 we read, and they had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. The word hoped is past tense. In other words, the hope had gone. They weren't holding on to it anymore because what now? And the women who had gone to the tomb had said Jesus was alive, but some of their companions had also gone to the tomb, but they did not see Jesus. In other words, they were like Thomas, who was called Doubting Thomas, because he said, unless I put my finger in his side and his hand, then I'll believe. Well, guess what? They're in that same situation. Going, we, we just don't know. We haven't seen him yet. But for these disciples, they were about to discover a new day dawning. Going from darkness to light. As Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Jesus is the great light. He even said, I am the light of the world. He is the light of this new day dawning. And so for me this morning, what I want to just unpack briefly with you is this, new, this light of a new day dawning of Jesus being a great light. And how does he bring that light to our lives? What is that new day dawning? Well, there are three parts that I want to look at. Firstly, that Jesus, he lifts off condemnation. Do you know, our world is very quick, and I have to say, Australian culture is really quick to be able to nitpick and you know, cut down the tall poppy syndrome, you know, all that sort of stuff, and tell us what we've done wrong. And what do we end up with? We end up with this condemnation, almost like a coat that we wear over us of of just criticisms from others. In fact, it wasn't any different to what happened back in Jesus' day. There was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And yes, we won't get into the fact that they only pulled the woman in front of Jesus and not the bloke, we won't go there. But here's this woman who the religious leaders dragged in front of Jesus and said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Our law says that we can stone such women, but what do you say? 
They were asking the question in order to try and trick Jesus and, and get him to say the wrong thing. And for Jesus, he simply just bent down on the ground and started to draw in the dust. And they kept pushing and pushing, pushing at Jesus. See, many people, when they come under that weight of condemnation, are their own worst enemies. But when people also say it to them, it makes it even worse. For the woman, she was caught in this act of adultery and she was under the condemnation from others and these religious leaders, they had no problem tarnishing her reputation and making her feel even worse. What's the problem? If Jesus had said that the woman was not guilty, he would be breaking the Jewish law and leave himself open to the charge of being too lenient upon sin. But if he said that the woman was guilty and should be killed, he would be breaking the Roman law, which did not consider adultery worthy of death. He would also then be open to the accusations of, you are not showing love, you're not showing forgiveness. But instead, what did Jesus do? He simply bent down on the ground and was rotting in the dust. Finally, these religious leaders kept pushing and pushing at Jesus for a response. And Jesus, he stood up and said, Whoever's without sin can cast the first stone at her. And then he bent down and started to draw in the dirt again. Why was that important? Because Jesus was actually pointing out that although you religious leaders have condemned this woman for her actions and what she's done, by his own question, Jesus brought a conviction to their own hearts of their own sin. And then starting with the older ones, then the younger ones, they all moved away to eventually leave only Jesus and the woman that left standing there. And then we read, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus was the only one who could have condemned her because he was the only one who was without sin and he chose not to. Instead, he lifted off that weight of condemnation and he said, Go and leave your life of sin. Go first, go in freedom. Go, this is a new day dawning. She was able to walk free from condemnation, no longer bearing that weight of condemnation. Do you know another example was a man who, as Jesus one day was walking down a hillside, a man who had leprosy came up and he fell at Jesus' feet. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy was this terrible disease. It left people disfigured and often it would result in death. It was not a nice disease because people looked at them and said, not only have you maybe sinned, and that's why you've got leprosy, but as well as that, you are ostracized from people. You are also cut off from God because you have this leprosy. So cut off from people, cut off from God. And yet here was this leper who came before Jesus. For those who were lepers, they had to walk around yelling out, unclean, unclean, so that everyone could keep their distance from them. Why? Because people feared catching leprosy themselves. As well as that, they had to wear black cloth, which assimilated them with death. And they were banished as outcasts. They weren't allowed to be in the city and within the walls where it was safe. Instead, they had to actually fend for themselves on the outside of the walls. And people believed that once a person had leprosy, that they would die from it, unless they were healed by God. The only example of that was, prior to this, was in 2 Kings. Chapter 5, verse 7, of Naaman, who had been healed of his leprosy. So this poor man who had leprosy, he had been condemned by people, 
ostracized, he was an outcast. And despite that, he came to Jesus and he knelt at Jesus' feet. Kneeling at Jesus' feet was a sign of both surrender and also worship to Jesus. And he said, Lord, if you are willing. If you are willing is this acknowledgement that he, in his heart, he believed Jesus was able to cleanse him. But Jesus had to be willing to do so. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice he did not ask that you can heal me, but rather he asked, you can make me clean. Why? He didn't want just healing, he wanted cleansing. He needed the cleansing so that he could then be socially accepted by people again, but also spiritually accepted by God. While he had leprosy, he was banished from the temple. He could not come close to God, which meant that God wasn't, in their minds, accepting him. But being cleansed, suddenly he was able to come before God again. And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 3, Jesus, we read, Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Notice that Jesus touched the man while the man still had leprosy. Jesus wasn't actually bowing to fear like all the other people were. Instead, he recognized the authority that he had. And he said, be clean. It was a new day dawning for this man because Jesus lifted off condemnation that everyone else, including himself, had put on him. It was a new day dawning. The condemnation released that he would now walk in that freedom. But you know, when Jesus does that release on us, of releasing us from that condemnation, it means he's also doing a deeper work in us. And it's one of forgiveness. That's the second point, that Jesus, he breaks the curse of sin. We read in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Yeah. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice because he was without sin, yet he went to the cross and he died for our sin. He took our sin upon himself and died for us. But yet, do you know, even before Jesus went to the cross, he had authority to forgive sin. Do you believe that? Yes? Let me give you an example so you know. Jesus was in his own hometown. He was in a house. The house was crowded full of people. There were even people on the outside trying to listen in. And yet, then suddenly this group of men arrived. And they were carrying a paralyzed man. And they couldn't get in. So they climbed up on the roof, made a new skylight, and then lowered the man down into the house, right in front of Jesus. What they had, these men, was of great faith that Jesus was able to heal their paralyzed friend. They had that great faith, and in doing that, they demonstrated it by, not, by overcoming every obstacle in order to be able to place their friend before Jesus. But I'm sure that when they heard Jesus' first words to their friend, they were not the words that they were expecting. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa. Probably not the expression that they were thinking. And no, it wasn't because of sin that the man was paralyzed. Let's not get into that. That's not right. What was Jesus saying? He was wanting to bring evidence that he had authority to forgive sins. How do we know? Because the religious leaders immediately in their own hearts were thinking, he is being blasphemous. You know, no one can forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their hearts, he says to them, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. 
But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. Now I have to say, of course it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. But where's the evidence? Where's the proof? How do you really know? Well, you've got to get them to do something that was previously impossible to do. The man who's paralyzed, hey, get up and walk. And he got up and he walked in front of him, proving Jesus' authority to be able to forgive sins. For this man who had been paralyzed, it was a new day dawning because Jesus breaks the curse of sin and he extends to us complete forgiveness. Not partial, but full forgiveness. Not only for some sins, for all sin. A new day dawning. And then we have our last one. Jesus is the life giver. It is a new day dawning because Jesus is the life giver. When Jesus was there dying on the cross, he was being mocked by the religious leaders, mocked by the soldiers, and even criticized and mocked by one of the prisoners who was there dying on a cross alongside of him. In fact, it says in Scripture that the prisoner alongside said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So it's easy to criticize when things look hopeless, not going our way or different to what we want. And for the religious leaders and soldiers and this, this criminal, what they could not see was that Jesus was there dying on the cross as an act of love for them and that it was actually to bring them life and forgiveness. They couldn't see it. Whereas there was another criminal who was dying on the other side of Jesus. And he was hanging on that cross. And I love Luke's account of the crucifixion because of this, that this other prisoner speaks up and says, Oi! Basically says to him, Shut up! We're getting what we deserve. And this guy, Jesus has done nothing wrong. But we have, and so we're getting what we deserve. And then he looks at Jesus and he says, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's important about that? This guy, not only has he acknowledged his own sin, he's acknowledged that Jesus is coming into his kingdom. So he has to have heard about Jesus or even have been present when Jesus has spoken and has heard that there is more to life after death. And he's saying, I want that. And he was doing it from another cross there alongside of Jesus. It's not too late. And so here he was and Jesus, he responded by saying, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That word truly is our word amen, which means so let it be. So let it be, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now the word today means literally today. He wasn't going to have to wait till tomorrow. He wasn't going to have to wait till the rapture. He wasn't going to have to wait. No, no, today. So let it be, today you'll be with me in paradise. What an amazing promise. Now paradise, what is paradise? Well, if we look at Luke chapter 16, verse 22... Jesus tells this parable of, of a rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus who was taken to Abraham's side. Why is that important? Well, Abraham's side, if we read the Tumult writings, which is ancient, a compilation of ancient teachings, it mentions that both Abraham's side and paradise are one and the same. And what, what they designate is that these places are the final home of the righteous. So Jesus from the cross is declaring to this man who's acknowledged that he is, Jesus is the saviour, acknowledged his own sin and has asked Jesus for, to, you know, please remember him when he comes into his kingdom. Jesus is saying, I'm declaring you righteous. 
because you're going to be with me in paradise. What's paradise? Well, that Greek word, it actually means a park or a garden. Why is a garden significant? Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. God created Adam and Eve, and where did he put them? In the garden. Paradise. What is Jesus saying? Guess what? We get to be in the garden with God and there will be no more sin. There will be no more separation from God. We will be united with him forever. That was the promise right from the cross as Jesus was dying. It's a life-giving promise that Jesus gives life to us. How do we know this? We read evidence of this reality that as Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Surprise! They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. What's the other evidence? Go to the tomb. It's empty. Jesus is alive. It's a new day dawning because Jesus is the life giver. He is the one who gives us that fullness of life. So God, in his great love, he gives us this opportunity to start afresh each new day, to leave the past behind and to walk in the dawn of a new day, a new day dawning. How do we do that? We lift off the condemnation. It's a bit like having one of those cloaks that we have. Lift it off. Let it fall to the ground. Lift off condemnation. Why? Because Jesus breaks the curse of sin and he gives us eternal life. For those who are visual people, lift off the condemnation. Let it go. Okay? Get your ruler and go, snap. Remember doing that as a kid? Yeah, break a ruler. Yeah. Grab the ruler, grab the spaghetti. It's you know, a bit more responsible. Grab the, you know, the next time you're doing cooking pasta and break that spaghetti, Jesus, he breaks the curse of sin. And what does he do? We lift our arms because Jesus gives us life. He lifts us up.